This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to a disciple after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Hannah's Prayer and Vow, and it comes from 1 Samuel 1. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. There they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salary or managerial purposes, but 100% goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Now, Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Again, that's radiobibleclass with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. And you can also listen to us on iTunes by going to the podcast section and searching for WMER, Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. And last, you can listen to us live streaming over the internet by going to WMERWorldwide.com. That's WMERWorldwide.com. Today, we kick off another series, another book in the Bible, and we find ourselves at 1 Samuel. And let me give you a quick introduction to this book. Now, the book of Samuel is really about three people, three main people through this book, and that is Samuel, Saul, and David, and in that order. And this book is named after the first character, probably the main character in here. Now, the author of 1 Samuel is unknown. Some say that it is Samuel that writes this, but the problem with that is that Samuel dies in chapter 25, and there's still a lot that follows on after that, so it'd be hard for him to do that. I would remind you, though, that the whole Bible is inspired by God and no different in this book, so it really doesn't matter who the author is. It was all inspired by God, and he is the ultimate author. Now, from a time perspective, this is about 1100 BC, and this is a transitionary time for the nation of Israel. They're going from a time of the judges to the time of the kings. Now, when I say going from a time of judges, it's not what we think of as judges. They're not folks in black robes. These are military leaders that are called by God to lead the nation of Israel, and they do that under his guidance. But here in 1 Samuel, we see this transition of moving from the judges now to the king. And we'll see later in this book that Saul becomes the first king, and then after that, David. Just like it is in the real world today, you need a transitional leader, and God raises up this transitional leader, and his name is Samuel. Samuel is really a unique guy in the Bible because he wears many hats. What I mean by that, he plays the role of one of the final judges, the judge that transitions them to the kings. He also plays the role of a prophet. The Bible talks about that. We'll see that in a second. And then he also is the role of a priest. Also, if you go back to 1 Chronicle chapter 6, you'll see also he is okay to operate in the role of a priest because he is of the descendants of the Levites. 
So he is a Levite. He's one of the unique characters in the Bible who functions as a judge, a prophet, and a priest. The last thing I'll cover real quick is that Samuel was regarded up there with Moses. And a matter of fact, God refers to him at the same level as Moses. If you turn to Jeremiah 15 in the first verse, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn towards these people. So we see right here that God even puts Moses and Samuel right there together on the same level. So that was a quick introduction to 1 Samuel, the book of Samuel, and we'll cover more of it as we go through this book, but I have a lot to cover today, lots of points I want to point out to you, so let's jump right in. Now, I won't read every single verse because, again, there's not enough time in a 30-minute window for this whole chapter, and I really want to cover the whole chapter, but we will read the first couple of verses, all right? So let's look at verse 1. I'll be reading out the ESV, 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zahim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkina, and the son of Jerom, the son of Elah, the son of Tua, the son of Zuth, the son of Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the first was Hannah, and the name of the other was Panana. And Panana had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from the city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of the host of Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Ophini and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Panana and his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And we're going to stop right there. So the first thing I want you to see is we have this righteous man. We have this man named Elkina. He has two wives, but he is a righteous man, and he goes yearly and does his sacrifice, and he worships the Lord of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Just like you and I, even though he was a devout man, and even though he went and worshiped year after year, he still had areas. He was not perfect. When we use that word devout, we're really talking about someone that worshiped God and had a relationship with God, but it doesn't mean that they were perfect. And a matter of fact, we see right here that he's not perfect. He has two wives. Well, you may go, Tim, throughout the Bible, we see people that have multiple wives. Well, there were a couple of reasons of that. First of all, that was never God's plan. God's plan is one man, one woman, and that they'll leave their mother and their father and they'll cling together as one. It's not one man and multiple women. So the Bible's very clear on that. But back in that day, first of all, you needed a lot of children to help with the chores. It was not an industrial society like we live in today. There was a lot to be done. And so, again, a lot of times there were more than one wife because they needed more children. Now, does that excuse them having multiple wives? No, but that was the custom back in that day. What I want you to pick up out of this is not to get so wrapped around multiple wives, is that each of us, we can be very devoted to God. We can have a deep relationship with God, but there will always be areas in our life. We never are made it to that perfect status. We have areas that God will reveal to us if we will just listen to him that we need to clean up in our life. But we see right here in verse two that he had two wives. He had Panana and he had Hannah. Panana was his wife because he wanted children, and Hannah, her wound was closed up. She couldn't have children, so 
he married a second wife so that he could have children. And it's the Bible tells us that she was the mother of all his children and his daughters, his sons and his daughters. Of these two wives, Hannah was the one that he loved. And we see that in verse 6. We see that he gave a double portion because he loved her. To Phanina, his wife, and all her sons and daughters, he gave just a portion of food. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And because of this, Panana was jealous. Panana irritated her. She would dig in her. She would make fun of her because she could have children and Hannah couldn't. And what did it do? It made her sad. It made her weep. We see the pain and misery of infertility. And we can see the pain of it. Look at verse 8 with me because Elkanah asks her questions. He says to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more than 10 sons to you? In modern day English, verse 8 would be Hannah Banana, my love, my darling baby. Why will you not eat? Why are you so sad? I don't understand. Am I not enough for you? And notice she doesn't answer that. He is not enough for her. He cannot be the answer to the pain that she has about this childbirth, about her infertility. And what we can learn from Hannah, no matter what painful trial you go through, no matter what deep pain that the devil throws at you, no matter what you're going through, there is one answer. And it's not in man. It's not in your husband. It's not in your children. It's not in your pastor. Only God, only Jesus can feel that pain. Only Jesus can heal that wound. Right here in 1 Samuel, the Bible shows us just what I said, that he is not enough to solve that pain. Only God can solve the pain. But what Hannah shows us through all this pain is that she is a praying woman. Six times in this chapter right here, she is a praying woman. Look at verse 9 through 11 with me real quick. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed, and she prayed, first one, to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. There she gives the vow of raising him as a Nazarite. So the first thing she does in this pain and this dig that Penina has put into her, she prays to the Lord. That's what it says in verse 10, pray to the Lord. In verse 12, it says that she continued praying to the Lord. In verse 13, it says Hannah was speaking in her heart. That is praying. In verse 16, it says, Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for as long as I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. There we see praying again, speaking out of my great pain is what she's saying. If you jump down to verse 26, you see that I am the woman who was standing in here in the presence praying to the Lord. And then in verse 27, it says, For the child I prayed, and the Lord granted me. We see Hannah prays. She is a praying woman. Next week, we will look at chapter 2, and then there, half of that chapter is a prayer from Hannah. She is a praying woman. What I want you to pick up and understand is that not only did she pray because she wanted a child, she wanted a son, and it's very clear in this chapter, that's what she says, 
but she knew the only person who could make this happen was God. She turned to God for relief from her pain and her anguish of infertility. And I don't know what you are going through today. I don't know what pain that you're going through, but God is the only one that can solve it. Your wife, your husband, your job, your children, your pastor, no one can solve that problem. Only Jesus can. And go to him first. Now, the next thing I want to point out to you is about Hannah's perseverance, her faithfulness. Again, if you read this whole chapter, she faces opposition from those around her. As I pointed out before, her husband doesn't understand. He doesn't understand her pain. And he says, why aren't you happy? Why are you crying? Men, we don't understand why women cry. We really don't. We were not made that way. God made women that they are unhappy and they are sad at times. They are more emotional than we are. And what does her husband do? He doesn't understand, so he tries to get her to stop crying. Now, the second person we see is Panana. Panana is an evil woman. What kind of person kicks you while you're down? That is a bad person. That is an evil person. Jump back to verse 6 and 7 with me. In verse 6, it says her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her. And then in verse 7, it says, so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she provoked her. Hannah would not eat. She would weep. This provoking went on and on. Penina was a person that was very jealous because she was not the true love of Elkanah. And so what did she do? She does what the world does to you. They kick you where it hurts most. And because she was jealous, she would kick her. She would provoke her. She would irritate her around this infertility area because she knew it hurt so much. She would kick her with the pain. And that's what the world does to you. They will kick you while you're down. But one of the things I want you to pick up and way we should respond, even when we are attacked, when we're hit in that painful spot, we should be like Hannah and we should not respond. In Proverbs 15, it teaches us in verse 1 that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So what we see is that she didn't even give a answer. She, so therefore, it was a soft answer. If she would have retaliated back, guess what? It would have gone up a notch, as Emerald says. And too many times, we lose our potential to witness to someone else because we turn back and we lash out just like the world lashed at us. But to even add to the pain, the priest, Eli, now challenges her. He says, how long are you going to be drunk? I don't have time to read all the verses, but if you look at verse 12 through 19, she's sitting there and she's speaking with her heart. Only her lips are moving. Her voice is not heard. And Eli sees her and he thinks she's drunk. And he says, how long are you going to be drunk? Put away your wine, woman. Now understand, it is okay to pray silently. It is okay to do what she's doing. But Eli misreads this and he thinks she's drunk because of watching them eat and drink. And so he thinks she's drunk. And he says, how long are you going to be drunk, woman? One commentator says Eli was a terrible reader of lips and even worse at reading someone's heart. So what we see is her husband questions her. The other woman provokes her. Eli challenges her and misinterprets what's going on. But look at her. She persevere. She is faithful. She does not let the world stop her. 
See, it doesn't matter what other people think. She knows where the source of her help will come from. What you need to pick up is when you're going through a time of pain, there will be people around you that will question you. There will be people around you that might even provoke you. And there will be people that misjudge what you are doing. But be resolute. Be faithful just like Hannah and see your source of your strength and your wealth and your healing all from God Almighty. He should be our first resort. The other thing I want you to see is God's timing. Look at verse 19 with me real quick. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I want you to underline at the beginning of verse 20, and in due time. I ask you to underline that because a lot of times we get this part wrong. We don't understand God's timing. It says, and in due time. It doesn't say immediately. It says, and in due time. We need to understand this about God. He doesn't work on our timetable. He works on his timetable. I don't know where you are today. You may be just like Hannah saying, I want a child. And God is saying, in due time. Or maybe you're looking for that spouse and you're saying, I want to get married, but I don't know who he is or who she is. God is telling you, and in due time. Maybe you're going through marriage difficulties right now and you want God to restore your marriage. You want it to be back like it was when you were first married. What I will tell you is God is saying, in the due time. Maybe you're looking for that promotion or you're looking for that perfect job, that job that will meet what you think you need. God is telling you, I will give you that job in the due time. Listen to me loud and clear. God is never late. God is never rushed. God is always on time. See, the problem is God doesn't work on our time. And so we think God is late. But God is telling you today and in due time. See, God wants what's best for you, and he is going to give it to you when it is the right time. We know that because Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God wants to give you what you're asking, but it's in due time. And we see right here that Hannah is a woman of prayer. She perseveres. She doesn't worry about what people think. And she's willing to be patient. She understands God's timing. She knows that it's going to happen. She doesn't know when, but she is faithful. She perseveres and she's working on God's time. And we see that that faithfulness is rewarded. Because in verse 20, it says that Hannah conceived and bore a son. The very thing that she had asked God for, God answered her prayer. And what did she name him? She named him Samuel, which means I asked for him from the Lord. Some of you may think this is like a movie and that it's been building to a climax till finally the good thing happens and now we're ready to end. But actually, this chapter ends happily and sad at the same time. All the pain that Hannah has gone through, all the suffering that she's gone through, all the questioning that she's gone through, 
probably still does not equal the pain that she is about to have to go through. You might go, Tim, what are you talking about? I'll remind you of verse 11. Jump back to verse 11 with me real quick. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and never forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. What she's saying right here and is captured in this chapter is that she's saying, God, if you will show favor on me, if you will give me the son, if you will give me an answer to the pain that I'm going through, I will give him back to you. Once again, we can learn from Hannah. Hannah doesn't take this son just back to a church and have him dedicated so everybody can applaud and pray that they will help raise little Samuel. Now, right here in verse 24, we see what she does. It says, and when she had weaned him, now, back in that day, back in the culture, that would have been between three and five years old. Most commentators say that Samuel was probably three to four years old. So like I said, in verse 24, it says, And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an Ephraim, a flower, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, little L, she's showing respect to the priest. As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing in your presence, praying to the Lord, capital L, praying to God. For this child I pray, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So let me put this in modern day English. Here we have little Samuel. He's about three years old. She takes him by his little hand and she walks him into the tabernacle. She goes up to Eli and she says, several years ago, I prayed and made a vow to God that if he gave me a son, that I would turn him over to you. I would let him be grown up. He would come up in the worship of the Lord. I would give him back to the Lord. So Eli, I am handing over my one and only son to you. Even though I say I'm giving him to you, I want you to understand I'm giving him back to God. I would think we would all agree. The hardest pain that Hannah had to go through after praying through all these years, after feeling all this pressure, after being provoked and irritated, after being challenged, the hardest thing she had to do was to hand that little hand back to Eli and give him to God. I can only imagine that here she is, right in front of the temple. She kneels down to little Samuel, tears running down her cheek. And she says, son, here is where you're going to live now. Mama will come back to visit you every year, but this is your new home. Chapter 2 tells us that every year she lived up to that, that she went up there every year and she brought him a new robe. I can hear the conversation. Oh, Samuel, it's so good to see you, son. You've grown so much. I see your two front teeth are gone. Mama loves you, and I'll be back to see you soon. The next year, oh, Samuel, you've gotten so big. I hope the robe I've made you fits you this year. Boy, I sure do miss you. Mama loves you. Several years later, it's like, Samuel, you've gotten so big now. You're as tall as your dad. I can't believe how the years have gone by. I really do miss you, Samuel. 
I want you to always remember that I love you and I miss you. In his late teenage years, Samuel, you've turned into a handsome man. Samuel, you've always been God's man. Mama has always loved you. Mama will always love you. And you will always be God's man. All the pain that she went through leading up to the birth of Samuel, I'm convinced was nothing compared to the pain when she had to give that little hand away. One thing I do want to point out through this, though, is that God never asked her of this. She did willingly make a vow to God, but she fulfilled that vow. And if you don't catch anything else from our study today in Samuel chapter 1, the most painful thing in your life will be surrendering your Samuel. And you go, Tim, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is truly Lord of your life, then that means we have to surrender everything about us. Everything we have is by his hand. Everything we are is by his grace. And when you start understanding this very fact, then you will become intentional about this. You will give up your Samuel. You will say, Lord, my kids belong to you. My marriage belongs to you. My career belongs to you. My possessions belong to you. My future belongs to you. The very breath I breathe, the very life that I live belongs to you, Lord. See, everything we have, everything that God has given us, he gave to us. It isn't nothing we've done. We did nothing. And the Lord is knocking today because some of you are holding on to something that is not yours. There are some of you right now that the Lord is saying, give it to me. And you won't. You're holding on to it. It's your prized possession. It is your Samuel. And you are not willing to let go of the little hand. I understand it's not easy. I understand that this is the most difficult thing that you can do. This was difficult for Hannah. This was her only son that she gave away. She gave back to God, that she honored the vow. And some of you are struggling today in your marriage because you have not given your marriage to God. Some of you are struggling with your children because you have not given them back to God. Some of you are holding on too tightly to them. And the Lord is saying, give them to me. Bring them up in the Lord, not just in the church, but in the Lord and give them to me. Some of you are struggling in your job. Some of you are struggling moving on. Some of you are struggling today not getting that job, not getting that promotion, not getting that raise because you are doing it in yourself and you have not given it to the Lord. We need to remember that everything we have is by his hand. Everything we have is by his grace. I want to surrender all I have to you, Lord. I want to surrender all. You know, I'm out of time, so I want to close with this final thought. We used to sing a song. It was called Lord of All. The first verse went, In my heart are kingdoms, a world that's all my own, kingdoms that are only seen by myself and God alone. In the past, when I tried to rule my world, it seemed to fall apart. So please, Jesus, be the Lord of all the kingdom of my heart. Jesus be the Lord of all. And then in verse two, it would say, I guess I only fooled myself for I said I've yielded all, but in a secret corner of my heart was a kingdom that did not fall. I surrender now, make my heart your throne. Rule its kingdom great and small, for if you're not Lord of everything, then you're not Lord of all. Today, 
Is he Lord of everything? Because if he's not Lord of everything, then he's not Lord at all. So will you give him everything? Will you give up your Samuel? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Lord, you've heard the words that have come out of my heart, Lord, that you put on my mind. Lord, I pray right now that you would just let them go forth and that we would understand that we need to be like Hannah. Lord, I thank you for inspiring whoever wrote this book of 1 Samuel to write it, that we can learn some principles from it. Lord, that we can be like Hannah, no matter what pain we're going through, that we turn to you first. Lord, that we are faithful and we persevere, no matter what the world says, no matter what others say, that we turn to you and we don't care what others say. And Lord, that we are willing to make you Lord of all. Lord, that if there's any part of our heart, if we fooled ourselves thinking that we could keep some secret corner, some little precious thing that we love, Lord, I pray today that you will knock on the hearts of those that have done that and that they will give it back to you. Lord, that they will let you be truly Lord of all. Lord, maybe there are some right now that are listening that don't understand that. They don't understand what I'm saying by saying that you are Lord of all. Lord, I pray today that they would ask you to be Lord of all. Lord, that you would tug on their heart, that they would say, I've never made you Lord. I've never asked you to be Lord of my life. I've never believed on your finished work on the cross. And your word tells us that if we will confess that we are a sinner, if we will believe on your finished work, and we will confess you before men, and we will be saved. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the blessings. Lord, always let us wake up and be gracious because it is through your grace and it's through your hand that we have what we have. And we thank you for what you do for this ministry. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.